Hey everybody and welcome to episode number five of the Retail Ready Podcast. Today we are speaking to Scott who is the co-founder of the brand Farmer Joe. They are a cereal brand which started in Sydney selling into a couple of cafes. They then upgraded to a farmer's market and now you'll find them on the shelves of Woolworths Australia. Great company, great people and they are really trying to drive home the message that cereal should be of good quality good ingredients and really making sure that people are eating a healthy start to their day so we chatted to scott learned what he's been up to and where he wants to take the brand and i hope you guys enjoy as always, give feedback at the end, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Welcome to the Retail Ready Podcast, hosted by Ben Wyatt, your destination for product development, food trends, and some serious knowledge bombs about the food industry. Hey, Scott, welcome on board. Welcome to the podcast. I know you're a guy that doesn't really like to be messed around much, so... I'm just going to go straight into it. How did Farmer Joe start? So Farmer Joe started um, out of, let's say, a wee bit of frustration and boredom. I was was involved with coffee companies. And Sally, my wife, was um, out of work interior designer at home with a, a young child. And I just thought, I saw an opportunity in the marketplaces it was the time maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when when coffee was becoming very trendy. So the days of Lavazza and all the big Italian imported brands, th- those were on the outer. Uh, on the rise was the, the fresh local coffee with your Campos, your Tobies, your Baba Badan, your Seven Seeds, your St. Ali's. Mm. They were all gathering momentum. And while I got involved in the coffee game to, to sell into cafes, uh, I said to my wife, I said, because we used to be big, big, big Muesli fans, and I grew up in Porridge, okay. but then when I came to Australia, Muesli was always part of it. But it was either really sweet or mm-hmm. really boring. And by boring, I mean very healthy. It was on that health cusp. There was nothing, and it was always, Muesli was like a, a kind of safe bet. I like to class it, if Muesli played a sport, it would play golf. Mm. And if Muesli drove a car, it would probably be a beige Volvo. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I said, let's just let's try and bring muesli. Let's make it relevant. Let's make it fun. Let's make it. Let's try and target people's lifestyles. And let's put a bit of fashion. This was back when we started. Let's design something that's meant to taste good. That was the start of it. And okay. make it really indulgent, so that I can easily sell it into the cafes because I know there's an opportunity to change the menus mm. instead of cafes all selling cheese and ham croissants or focaccia this or that I mean this has gone back a bit mm. so let's make let's make it easier for them to sell something because any of the music they were selling back then was either some fucking dross they got from the supermarkets <laughs> or it was a couple of very safe brands yeah there was nothing there was nothing worth marketing shouting about and and giving them really something to be excited about. So we made that change. I said, bake everything origin baked. And by that, what that means is every ingredient, so if if a product has 11 ingredients, every ingredient would be baked differently so that when you mix it to the bag, it's got multiple flavors. And that the reason we did that is because that's the same language 
coffee roasters we're talking about. That's, that's what I was talking about when we were origin yeah. baking, which means you roast every bean individually, you post-blend them, and you get this multi-level flavour profile. Whereas if you look at something like, a, say, a Starbucks or Lavazza, they throw it all in green, they roast it to one colour, and you get a flavour. Mm-hmm. And that's what muesli was. Muesli was a flavour. It was quite a boring experience. And then the, the only glamour you got was a bit of yogurt and some fruit. So we said, let's make it, let's, let's get this flavour profile really moving so that every bite is slightly different. And it gives me something to sell. So when I go into a cafe to speak to a barista, no one was selling muesli with those terms mm-hmm. in place. People, muesli was always an afterthought. So if it was somebody selling bread, they would sell you all this beautiful bread. And they go, oh, yeah, and by the way, I kind of got a couple of bags of muesli. Muesli was always this after sale. So for yeah. us, we'd done the opposite. Muesli was always sold. So we just went to the market with five flavours to create a real movement and a change with the how cafes was the focus for us, how cafe customers were having breakfast. And that's kind of the initial start of Farmer Joe when we started at Me and Sally. Um, farmers markets, straight to cafes. And the name she chose Farmer Joe was because she wanted a name, she wanted a female name. So Joe is J-O, no mm-hmm. E. She wanted a feminine approach to to business. And also, in her opinion, the lady or the woman of the house is the woman that brings home all the food. And she wanted a name farmer to try and create a connection with the people that produce the food on behalf of us I to like make it. us run a business. So hence the name Farmer Joe. And that's kind of where that name came out of. That that's that was the end part of many things. Like Farmer Joe initially was supposed to be a bag of sticks. So if you can imagine a muesli bar, we, we wanted a muesli bar to be cut into like ten sliders and dipped, it was going to be called not in nice, so one end dipped in chocolate, one end dipped in yogurt, and the idea was it would be something you would snack on, but we I couldn't like find it. any man- manufacturers that could <laughs> cut anything that sliding, because it yeah. was all, <laughs> the, the cutters were all that one size for a granola bar, mm. so we couldn't do that, and then we thought, oh, let's do a lot of chunks, let's let, let's reinvent the Smartly Tube, we'll take the Smartly Tube, and we'll do not in nice, we'll do a lot of clusters, some dipped in chocolate, some dipped in yogurt, so girls because again the market was for girls again put them in the bag they walk around and they pop it for a little yep. snack and then we just said you know what let's just stop fucking around with all the convenient stuff let's just take what we know which is the muesli let's take them to the cafes stop with that part and we'll get that part and that's the kind of part nine years down the line that's still what we're selling only now are we trying to bring them I mean, we've had i go at cookies and bars and all those other things mm. And they've kind of failed because we we make them too fancy, we make them too good, and then to try and compete against a cookie which is fucking margarine, flour, and sugar, butter mm. if you're lucky, and, and we're trying to compete at that same price point. We were losing money, but we just because we were taking the muesli, condensing it, baking it, so it was like an 80 gram puck. It was like a super nutritious, high protein, high fiber snack, but. For us to make it value, uh, valid back then, it would need to be about six or seven bucks retail. When people can buy a, a cookie from the coffee coffee man or a muffin for three or four bucks. So that never really worked for us. The muesli mm-hmm. worked, so we stuck with the muesli, stuck with the muesli, stuck with the muesli, and kept refining it as we went. We slowly kept building it through more cafes, more ca- lots of cafes. I think back in the day, uh, I don't know the exact numbers now because most of what we do through distributors, we had about nearly 1,500, just under 2,000 cafes. 
Oh, wow. So we, that's the amount of the penetration. Most of that was Sydney, Brisbane, into Victoria. Um, they were the main states for us. Mm. And how far yeah. in into kind of the Farmer Joe career how, did you get a distributor? Or was it just literally farmer's market, no. someone picked you up and then... Yeah, so at the beginning, I was still involved with coffee. So for the first mm. one to four or five years, I was involved with different coffee companies. Uh, Sally was in the business and um, it was all... I mean, there was a time when she used to go and deliver bags of muesli with one of her kids in her hand and one bag <laughs> of muesli in the other. That's kind of how it started. And she would yeah, come so back for anyone, for anyone listening, Farmer Joe, well, Scott has about 18 kids, so he's got a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> he, needs, he needs a cereal business to feed them. <laughs> they feed them, keep them regular. But that was... I remember that. And I think that's a good story worth telling because if some people are out there saying, I want to start something, but, oh, you know, I've got the kid, whatever, they're just excuses. Put them aside mm-hmm. and focus on what you want to get done because there was days when I would see Sally walking down, when the second kid came along, she'd be walking through George Street in the city with Frankie in her pouch, Olivia by her side and holding a box of muesli going to deliver it because that's how we had to get by because I, I couldn't help her during the day because I was doing my coffee business. So that's kind of how it was It was, it was that. that. That's how we, day by day, bit by bit, and it was fun back then because we were... We were getting traction, we were getting stuff, but then I started to slide, um, use my contacts to, yeah. to get more and more cafes. Um, and then we picked, we got one of my mates, a distributor called Gersh Goods up in the mountains. Okay. They were probably one of the first ones to start with us, and they picked up a lot of cafe business and retail business for us, which took throughout Sydney, and then kind of done that whole region up through the mountains, down behind Lithgow, up to Orange, Double, kind of far, 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 far regions that we um, would never have got to. Mm. And as that started to grow, and then we, we, we all, our first, our first customer was that, our first big customer was Qantas. So we got oh, on cool. to Qantas, we got on to put through Perry Consultant. They met Sally at the farmers markets in Sydney. And then they got us onto the first class and business class of Qantas. And then we also, not long after that, with another large client then was um, Virgin. Virgin done the same. They put us in all business, business class, business lounges. And we done, we supplied them for about three years. Um, but our, and our first cafe was a cafe called um, Foodies, which was in Sandry, okay. which was our first cafe. And I think Sally met them again at the markets. And that cafe turned out to be a great cafe for us. And at Cafe still going today, and the guys who were in there, Pierre and Matt, they've sold it, opened up another one. But they were, we still remember those very first days back then when we got one account, two accounts, three accounts, mm. four accounts. But I got involved, I kind of I kinda got to a stage in what one of my coffee companies were, me and my business partners were going in different directions. And the best way to describe it, like in a relationship, I was like a I'm like a worn Dunlop volley. That's my kind of character. And my okay. partners were very much like a polished Prada shoe. So we were only ever going to walk so far together before before my shoes were getting undone, my, my laces. Yeah. And that kind of happened about two and a half years into that relationship. And um, we never, at that stage, we were probably had maybe two, two full-time staff in the little kitchen, which was 35 square meters in Surrey Hills with a little cafe at the front. 
and uh, not enough money to sustain yeah. the business or two kids, a house, some daycare. And um, I just thought, fuck it. I can sit in this fucking job and be unhappy. And today I was getting good money. Back then it was at nearly 300 grand. So it was I was getting good coin, which could have kept me in that mm-hmm. job. So, but that job was not, it, it wasn't, I wasn't finding satisfaction in it. So I had to be honest to myself and to my partners. And I kind of said, all right, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to leave any shit. So I kind of, it was a three-month exit for me. And during that three-month, I kind of called, and we had no money. So I called every fucking bank, building society, anyone trying to get any, any amount of credit. I think there was, I remember looking back at it, I, I got blackballed because I've done 18 applications in one month. <laughs> Like a black and my financial planner guy, accountant, he said, Mate, don't ever apply for anything for like five years because you're, you're on the big black market here. But in that, I managed to get, I think I managed to get a living grand. I think mm. I maybe got like a five grand loan from ANZ and like a nine grand credit card or something like that. But it was enough just to give us a little buffer plus what yeah. the business was turning over. And I thought, fuck, we've got, I've got here about three months after I go out to make this work. So for three months, I got up, I went and bought a little van. Actually, I borrowed another five grand from my mother to buy this little tiny van. That was my first delivery van because Sally's was, mm-hmm. was a Hyundai. And every morning I woke up, I fucking loaded that van with samples of muesli and I, I hot the streets from 6 a.m. to 6 And th- th- there were some days I was coming back with like 20 new accounts. And these, these, these were whether it was a garden centre buying a few bags of muesli to a cafe buying yeah. 50 kilos a week, that was everything. But every little bit helped, and it was a way of building the brand up, getting every every person to retail the brand, put up a sticker, put up a badge, wear a T-shirt. And that's kind of how it happened. And after three months, we, we weren't cash flow positive by no means, but the we were a bit safer. But it just meant mm. I just kept fucking working. I knew that... If I got in that van every morning and I take this product to the cafe market that suit was designed for, I'm going to sell it. There was never a day I didn't sell it. And that's why when I speak to salespeople, a lot of salespeople are fucking bludgers. You know, it's like if you you, you, you can sell. You've you got to get off your fucking arse and you've got to have a fucking thick skin and you've got to get out there and you've got to sell and you've got to communicate. And you've got to, you must refine your speech continually. You've got to be on your toes because mm. if you walk in there miserable... Especially if you're walking into, for example, I'm walking into cafes, which are already busy. The staff are already under the pump. The yep. customers want to get served, but I need to get a fucking sale. If I don't, if I don't take, if I don't find my moment, I'm not going to get a sale. So it was a bit picking and choosing. And fortunately, my my skill set, my my character allows me to find to to be like fucking. I'm old, I can fit in there, but I also understand the keywords and the communication that I can say to the, the barista or the manager very quickly mm. to drop the guard and get in there for a quick sale and try, try and get the deal done and get out so he can keep selling his stuff. Yeah, fantastic. Didn't always, didn't always work. There was a lot of times people told me, fuck off, piss off, don't come back. But I kept going back. I kept, you just keep going back because you, you just don't know. You might just have found them on a bad day. You know, a customer might just upset them. The bank might have just yeah. called them. You don't know what people are going through. It's not just you. Sometimes you can be the vehicle for the abuse. But wipe it off. Go back again the next day. Because you get something to sell. I know I was selling a product that's going to be better for his business than what he's selling. I knew that. 
sometimes I would just say to them, they, the people that didn't want to buy it, I said, look, just, just take it. Take it for free. If you don't like it, then don't fucking pay for it. But if you like it, pay for it. So, yeah, so there's a lot of that uh, kind of stuff. So it's safe to say that you weren't an overnight successor. <laughs> no, fuck no. No way. <laughs> and we still, and we still, we're still, I'm an old school salesperson. I like to get out there door to door, face to face. I'm that kind of guy. Mm. I know that nine years down the line, it's interesting, we're now only nine years down the line, we're now looking at online sales as another arm of our business. So we're, we're going through that process now to bring okay. on bring on um, digital marketers, develop a strategy using the actual vehicle of social as a mm-hmm. means of communication, not just to drive a sale, but also a way to really empower and communicate why we are who we are. Why do we use macadamia oil? Why do we use yeah. almonds? Why do we not use palm oil because it's fucking poison? Why do we? Why do we? Why do we be very clear with all the ingredients we do? Why don't we use preservatives? Create that vehicle to create information to empower the customers to know that when they buy farm with your product, they can expect a certain level of value, a certain level of nutrition, a certain experience. Because we, as me and Sally, because we've kind of run it ourselves, you get so consumed with so much stuff, and only nine years down the line, have we now got enough people in as around the business to look after the sales, the operations, the management, the SQF, the HACCP, the account, all that fucking stuff that consumes mm. you, to actually now look at the business and say, all right, now let's target this market here through social media, through Instagram, through marketing, continual speech and then refining stuff. Yeah, so, so you can now making- work. You can now work on the business instead of in the business. Yeah, yeah. and we've, all, we've, all, we've kind of been there, mm. but I my my go-to, if I need more sales, I know what I'm going to get them. I'm going to go and hassle buyers. I'm going to hassle distributors. I'm going to hassle customers because that's how I think. What I'm starting to re-educate my mind with, and Sally's educating me with, is changing that. It's communicating to the customer to make the customer your vehicle for the sale. Yeah, let them come because, to you kind of yeah, thing. And then let them also tell the buyer, let them also tell the retailer, let them communicate, say, actually, this is the product I want. Because by empowering the customer more, we'll sell more. We'll get more runs on the board for the products that's already on the shelf. Mm-hmm. So now we're going through that process to to, actually, to, to to use those social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or uh, YouTube, to create some how-to how to make things in many languages because we're doing a bit of export now yeah okay how's that going slow Mm. slow because you need to you you need to you kind of get what you give and we haven't given much to export we've just looked at the opportunities that came to us and um, we do all right a little bit in singapore a bit in china we've just done a good deal in japan with costco so that's a big deal for us over there Costco here, the domestic industry is also a great a great partner for us. We've got to do and we'll do more with them. But we give a lot to to our Australian business. We invest a lot through tastings, discounts, yeah. promos, wherever. With export, we just we've taken on opportunities when they've came our way. Instead of uh, instead of us empowering the opportunity as we do here in Australia. Yeah. So we're going to change that as well. We're going to look at export with a with a much more keen eye this year and invest. Invest more on export. That's impressive. So basically, you think you've you've hit a point now where the product has taken you to a certain step, and now 
it's getting more people aware of the brand and what you represent yeah. and stuff to take you to the next step. Yeah. I mean, if you look uh, at impressive. someone like, impressive. let's say, Carmen's, it's, a, it's mm. an exceptional brand that, that I, I think you could stop any Australian on the street and say, tell me a music brand, and they would say Carmen's. Mm-hmm. So what we got to do as a business is kind of not, not replicate that, but because that was started 20 years ago when things were slightly different, but what she's achieved, we want to achieve those certain things. We want to be out there with a lot more knowledge to a customer. When they think about muesli, think about Farmer Joe. When they think about nutrition, think about Farmer Joe. Think about well-being, Farmer Joe. Think about probiotics, Farmer Joe. Think about lifestyle, Farmer Joe. we really got to tap into this new emerging market that's much more savvy now as a consumer than they were 20 years ago because there's much more knowledge and a lot more questions so us as a business, we have to be a lot more resourceful with our communication to our customers with regards to ingredients, with regards to nutrition, with regards to facts, as well as we're not just selling someone a bag of muesli. Yes, we are. Fundamentally, that's what we are. But there's a whole lot more within that bag that we need to talk about. It's it's not necessarily us saying, eat this muesli, and here's a nice picture of a nice table, and your family sitting down to eat it. Those days are gone. <laughs> Yeah, they've passed. They've well yeah. passed. <clears throat> so it's now it's about re- really connecting with who is your customer, and it's no longer about advertising. I think the advertising days they're they're gone. I think the voice is marketing. It's speech. It's what we talk about in the office. It's the simple things we talk about our business. It's the facts of what we put in the bag. It's about taking that to the customers and talking to them, continually talking mm-hmm. to our customers empowering them with more knowledge to make them feel part of and connected and want to go and tell their friends about Farmer Joe. Yeah, and but, I think you guys you guys believe in the brand and I think you live by the brand as well, which I 100%. always do. And that's why I buy your products mm. because I know it's I know it's made from good quality stuff, made by some good quality people. But I just think a lot of people are, are making products but not believing the products that they're uh, they're making, so I think they're going to get caught out once uh, once the internet explodes even further with more smaller brands coming to the market through Instagram and Facebook. Um, I think a lot of people are going to get caught out, and there's only going to be a few brands that people believe in. Yeah, well, there's a lot there's a lot of shyster marketing, and then there's honest mm. marketing. So marketing yeah. can be perceived in many ways. I was listening to the radio today and. Um, so it was saying that the Victoria zoos have removed Cad- Cadbury's from the zoos because they use palm oil. Okay. Because they weren't because palm oil, whether mm. it's organic or not, I think it's still a shit fucking oil. And here in Australia, they label it as vegetable oil, whereas oh, in other countries they've got it labelled as palm oil. But one of the things, as they're saying, is because they are not buying it from a, a, a sustainable source, we've now removed it from from sale, and I think good on them. But then someone came, on, yeah. someone came out to try and fight the case, and he goes, "Oh no, but hang on, it's not Car- it's not Cadbury's chocolate blocks. It's uh, it's some of the Cadbury's products with a little gooey bit in the middle, because they use the palm oil as a, an emulsifier." And it says, "But they, and she, she her, her point was, but they've got no other product to use." And I'm thinking, "Fuck off! You guys are making like a billion dollars a year. Change the fucking oil." Change the, your whole advert is about half a glass of milk and every every fucking change palm oil. There's so many great oils that you use. It's like don't put your head in the sand and say I don't like when people say I hear people from big companies and they'll always say to me, oh but we have to get it at this price point. 
Who says who? Says who said that to you? Fucking shit, there's so many oils out there. That fucking poison oil these guys are using wasn't available 20 years ago. So use the other oil, which was natural oils. So people need to pull their head out their arse, out the sand, because th- th- those... Um, those statements are going to be the end of those those large conglomerate brands because they're not going to change. And by them not changing, makes it very easy for little guys like me to mop up the business. So all they can do is stand there and either invest in the little guys or wait for them. I honestly think a lot of people don't understand how long it takes to get things growing. And I think you've just shown that it's patience, persistence, and having a great product. And I I honestly believe you guys are only just started, really. Um, well, got, we do have a long way to go. We've got a lot more stuff we want to do with this business and get back into We want to start opening up shops, the street kitchens. Ah, oh, cool. So we want to start having like a lot of stores on every street corner, baking fresh muesli, <clears throat> offering a range of breakfast to brunch offerings that are all focused on health. I like it. Imagine, um, imagine a Farmer Joe's at a train station. Well, it smells it smell fantastic. <laughs> smell better than my train anyway yeah. that thank you very much for uh letting us into your life and teaching us about how a muesli brand went from an idea to a farmer's market to now sitting on the shelf at Woolworths in australia and uh, a lot more growth in it so i think it's been a tremendous journey and i'm and i'm glad i've been a part of it for the last couple of years getting yeah. to know you and uh I, I just can't wait to see it grow even further. I think people just need to take that Aussie spirit and just have a go, mate. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and there will be plenty more to come and a lot more interviews with some really cool brands in the future. To help me out, please leave some comments, please review it on Spotify, please review on iTunes and this will allow the podcast to keep going so that I know you guys are listening. So have a great day and I look forward to bringing episode number six very soon. Bye bye.